Hey, Sam. Hey, Julia. Who are we talking to today? Today, we are talking to performer, writer, and friend of mine for 21 years, Dustin Sullivan. Wow. I haven't known him for that long, but maybe I'll get to know him a little better over the next hour. Timid people, actors. <laughs> I am. <laughs> no, I mean, yes, me too. <laughs> I wonder if that's a thing of like that, like good actors are timid at heart. I guess that's. Well, there is a whole thing. I was listening to an interview with uh, Kristen Wiig, and she was saying like half of all actors are people who got into it because they're like, look at me, look at me. And the other half are people who are like, don't look at me. Look at this character that's not me. And, and that so, second and I, is and, but I think both as. of yeah, but I think both of them can be good actors, but yeah, um, it's just a totally different like way you're coming at it. Which type of actor do you think you are? <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely closer to the latter. I also think there's kind of the fun separation of, and I don't know what the Venn diagram is, but actors who like disappear into a character yeah. and actors who. Like, there's the Tom Cruise, and then there's the Johnny Depp. See, I think of Sean Penn and Julia Roberts. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Those are the, okay. Because Julia Roberts, she's, she always plays herself, but she's so like good immersed at in the, yeah. That. And then Sean Penn is like, every time I see him in a movie, I'm like, that's Sean Penn? <laughs> He's so different, you know? And I'll never be that. I never am like, yeah, uh, oh, I can't believe that was you, Dustin. It's like, oh, yeah. good work in like being a part of that world, Dustin. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Wait, so with Tom Cruise and Johnny Depp, Johnny Depp disappears. Tom Cruise is always Tom Cruise. I I would well, <laughs> I think mostly there yeah. have been times where it's like, oh, you really got different. So do you feel like there's like certain types of work for which you have to be one of those like immerse all the way actors, or do you think like either approach? Oh, oh, that's a great question. It is a great question. I don't think I've ever really considered it. Uh, my kind of my gut reaction is. No, that you could. That either method works as long as you're fully invested. I mean, I guess I guess it's sort of more of a question for audiences and what they're willing to go with. Because mm-hmm. to some extent, I mean, I I give those names, but like everyone knows who Johnny Depp is. So if you go to see a movie with Johnny Depp, everyone's still gonna be like, "Oh, look at Johnny Depp! I'm really impressed with how good a job he's being not himself." Yeah, but uh I mean, now I want to see. I want to see like somebody film a movie with like two actors who I think of in like take yeah. Tom Cruise, take Johnny Depp, give them the same role, film it twice, and oh, be like, interesting. I love well, that. the thing that instantly sprung to my mind was like, it depends on like the tone of the project, and like uh, the first thing that sprung to my mind was like, has Julia Roberts ever done a period piece? Because like Mona Lisa smile. Oh, that's true. <laughs> that's a good point. But like, did that, did she really strike a tone where she really felt like she was of that era? Or did it feel like, I don't remember, I'm not as familiar with that movie to say <laughs> whether or not she like, like disappeared into a different era or if she was bringing her like contemporary sense of, like I don't, yeah. I don't think I necessarily always belong in a period piece unless it's sort of like has this contemporary vibe. Because, because that's the, t- the type of thing where you really have to sort of become someone else. Yeah. In a in a different kind of way. You know? No, that makes total sense. It's interesting mm. the like 
we're working on this piece now, Choreomania, that's like sort of like loosely ish. It's about an event that happened in 1518. And I feel like we're still trying to figure out like how much of that period, because I like, I don't think either Gordon and I necessarily have this like authentic 16th century voice. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's good for, for my money. Like, I, I tend to really enjoy shows that are, um, if they're set in the past, I tend to really enjoy them when they like don't um, bother with like trying to use like that time period's like style of speaking and they really use like a contemporary style. That's, that's, that like immediately brings me to that time period. Yeah. So. Well, so Dustin Shadow is set in what year? Uh, 1896. It's, yeah. And you guys, like, I'm thinking about from what I know of the score, there's definitely things that feel contemporary, even, like, musically. Yeah. I mean, I would say, for, for anyone who knows my collaborator, Jonathan Reed Gelt, he uh, is phenomenally talented and is mostly known for his albums, where he writes leaning towards beautiful ballads and occasionally up-tempo uh, joyful things. <laughs> if we all had our way, we would all just write all beautiful ballads Fact. all the time. Fact. Do you feel that way? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, see, because I, as a person who loves music, tend to like not get into ballads. I know, that's the thing. I feel like they're really fun to write, much less fun to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Okay. I, th I think there's definitely some truth there. I mean, obviously, exceptions to the rule. And John would, would love for more people to come up and tell him their favorite song of his is something other than Quiet. Mm. <laughs> Which, I mean, it's brought him so much joy and gotten but so much attention. But that's a ballad. That's a driving ballad. It, driving ballad. There's, there's yeah. a compromise. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he, I think to his credit, has, has found some really phenomenal sounds for the show. Because he... You can still kind of get a, the gist of what he used to write, but he has found kind of a, a I want to call it a Victorian flair. I don't necessarily know if that's genuine or rooted in actual, like, how Victorian music was at the time, but you, right, no, it, but it does, does imbue feel... the world in a way that feels uh, different and other and... Uh, Especially with that show, because people know Sherlock Holmes, so like you're you're coming with some feel of Victorian, and as long as the music doesn't sort of like take you out of that world, yes. And as long as we think of Victorian as like a cool, moody thing, instead of, uh, I, I don't want to. There's <laughs> the thing I'm going to think a lot in the next couple hours is going to be "Don't yuck someone else's yum," <laughs> which is something Rachel says, and uh, I think it's really accurate. Uh, We've listened to a fair bit of uh, music from other Sherlock shows that have existed. There's only one that's made it to Broadway, and then there's lots of regional things that have existed throughout the years. And, uh, and they're all fascinating in their own way, but they do tend to go towards like the stuffier side of Sherlock, where it's like uh, from solving crimes, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, and we definitely didn't want that. And I think that is equally Victorian in its own way of just like taking your time, doing the things, all that <laughs> happened in a good time. Uh, so we wanted to lean towards like darker, gritty Victorian. And we'll find out if that was well done or not. What was that research process like? Like, did you ever have the feeling of, oh, I don't want to get influenced by all these other things? John definitely didn't listen to anything else uh, Sherlockian while we were working on the the bulk of it. He didn't he didn't want to be influenced. I was not really that concerned either way because, especially when we started writing it, I was pretty new to to writing lyrics, so it felt like. 
now is not the time to limit <laughs> my learning process. Uh, so, yeah. He, yeah. <laughs> I guess that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, he he stayed away from it, and I took in bits and pieces. I didn't really, like, take a day and, like, just devour every Sherlock musical that I could. But every once in a while, I'd pop into YouTube, be like, oh, well, what's this show like? <laughs> There's currently uh, another like rock musical uh, that I haven't listened to that's like not Sherlock Holmes, but it's Jack the Ripper, mm. and it's like all his victims. It's like similar enough that I'm intrigued by it, but not concerned by like overlap. Uh-huh. Uh, but it had a very cool cast at a recent reading, and I'm curious to hear that because nice. we don't go full rock. I don't think we could if we wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> I always I'm uncomfortable with the the term like rock musical because I feel like. It's pretty easy with almost any musical that calls itself that for like a rock aficionado to be like false. <laughs> sure. And you don't want to be claiming this like coolness that because I do think I've like done this diatribe before, but like I think there are qualities of rock music that like are a little bit at odds with some qualities of what makes a good theater song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go on. Like I do feel like a good theater song, you like appreciate like range in terms of like intensity and dynamics and thought and you appreciate being in different places you travel you travel travel. from a to b whereas in rock and pop it's like here is a feeling i'm going to sit in this feeling for three minutes right and make it all really intense for these three minutes that's this thing Uh which can definitely be problematic when you're trying to fully transplant that to to theater but i mean would you say that it's fair to appreciate the influences of rock. Yeah, no, like totally. like I wouldn't call I, I I wouldn't necessarily call Hamilton a hip hop musical, but it's definitely a musical influenced by hip hop. Like of agree, course, agree. Uh, and I do think yeah, there is something about like I think there's this isn't going to be a word a visceralness viscerality. <laughs> <laughs> there's something visceral about rock music that it does like you know you sort of feel it in your body and it feels uh-huh. like it's associated with some sort of movement, and I think that's really helpful. Yeah. In musical theater. Yeah. I feel like Spring Awakening was one of the first things that I became aware of that kind of crossed over or lived between yeah, those yeah. worlds. Yeah, yeah. Because Duncan Teak, like, truly had a pop career. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean there's also American Idiot. It's That's yeah. the first thing I thought of when you were talking about this because I, I loved American Idiot, but I remember my roommate at the time was like, the songs were just, you know, they started loud and they just stayed loud. <laughs> And like there was no like it's what you're saying like it's difficult to like create this journey within a song that's like really truly a rock song. And yeah, it's uh, yeah. It's, I mean, it feels like the holy grail right now for a lot of people is like figuring out how to have the best of both. Yeah, and it doesn't feel like there's many winners yet, but people <laughs> seem to be getting closer. One of the things I loved when I did Heather is like I really appreciated the music because it. It obviously was musical theater music, but yeah. but it seemed to like tiptoe into a sound, a new kind of sound that people could really get into and excited about. Not rock is strong and pop is strong, closer I guess to pop than rock. But there was like definite like groove. Yeah, groove is a good word for it. Yeah, yeah. So like the win is coming, and and again like Hamilton kind of took the prize for like I don't feel like I'm being entrapped by the normal sense of what a musical theater song should, mm-hmm. should sound like. Um, 
but yeah, the new generation of musical theater writers, I think, are clamoring to like be the first one to just crush it. Just saying. So you said that you were sort of like new to writing lyrics as you're writing this show. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I went to school for acting. I came here and was acting. And then uh, I went and did a national tour. Right before I left for that, I applied for, thanks to Julia. <laughs> Julia's responsible for all this, for, <laughs> for good or ill. Uh, she suggested I apply to BMI, which I had not heard of because uh-huh. I didn't know anything about writing. Um, so I applied, got in. And they let me defer for a year while I did this national tour. Gotcha. Came back. Uh, and I'd only applied with the three finished lyrics that I had. You had to have three lyrics. And I was like, here, here they are, <laughs> all of it. Um, so the first year in BMI was when I met John. He was in my class. Gotcha. Uh, we hadn't yet worked together because the way it works in the program is the first year you are put together with like different people for every project. And they're like, write a Death of a Salesman song. Write a Angels in America song. Um, and we hadn't even crossed over yet, but he had heard a couple of my lyrics with other people, and he came up to me in class and said, I'm writing this Sherlock Holmes musical, uh, and I was wondering if you'd be interested. And I said, oh, yes, but no. No, thank you. <laughs> I said, you you need someone who's more experienced, and I'm just getting into this, and I definitely am not familiar with Victorian London. Like, I've never <laughs> studied that. Um, and... and uh, then a couple months later, I sent him a lyric separately and said, I would love if you would, are interested in setting this song. Uh, and he wrote back and said, actually, this sort of reminds me of like a Jack the Ripper song. Like, are you sure you don't want to do this? And I tried not to be offended because it was a love song that I thought was very sweet uh, and not murdery at all. He was just in that headspace. <laughs> That's the hope, or else there's some real darkness living here that I need to come to grips with. Um, so it was only on the second kind of volley that I said, like, I'll, I'll try this thing. Gotcha. But um, what brought you to BMI in the first place? Like, what? Uh, well, backtracking a little bit, um, I had written one lyric... Um, it maybe it wasn't my first ever lyric, but it was kind of my first lyric that I looked at and was like, I feel like there's something something to be proud of here. And, uh, and I wanted to kind of run that by someone who would know better. So I emailed Julia uh, and said, like, I, you know, this is what you do, so would you mind just, like, telling me what you think? And I sort of expected, like, a quick, like, this is so interesting. <laughs> you should be so proud of you. Um <laughs> And instead, I got this, like, three-page email back uh, saying, like, there's some really cool stuff here. Like, this is what, what I think is working. Um, here are some thoughts about what I think could be different or could, could go better. It, there was really no criticism in it, even though it was helping me move it forward. And I kind of was so shocked by the vote of approval that I was really emboldened to keep moving along with it. Um, and now that I think about it, that's like the process that I wish BMI lived by now, hmm. uh, which I love dearly and am still a part of. But like <laughs> anyone who's in that room with me can see my face sometimes that I get stressed. And like it's a lot of people coming with opinions at once. And yeah. and it was nice to be hit with such a, a pure volley of appreciation and and a go get them tiger attitude. Uh, oh, that's I feel like I've said this at other times <laughs> and maybe even other podcasts, but like. Look for those people. <laughs> Look for those people who are like not there to just like placate you, but who are who are your not even your your fans, but your allies. 
like people who want to see you succeed and are like willing to give you the vote of confidence. Because I, I honestly, I've said this to you, but I like <laughs> I would not be a writer if you had not said something. That makes me feel so <laughs> great. That's insane to me. I mean, you just never know, right? Like yeah. a simple thing can really set somebody off on a different path. Yeah. God, that's crazy. So and now do you... This is the thing that I'm most interested in of the people who are both actors and writers. Like, do you conceive of yourself? Like, when you think about your career, do you call yourself equally an actor and a writer? Do you? It's it's getting a little blurrier for me as uh-huh. we go. I still love acting. Uh, I still have agents for acting, so <laughs> keep sending me out, please. Um <laughs> Writing has been more dominant in the last few years. Uh, both are terrifying. Both are, I mean, <laughs> you know, because acting, I've had some, some, I think, like, pretty significant wins and also lots of time of just, like, what am I doing? Yeah. Where are the people who care that I'm still performing? <laughs> and writing, you know, partially because I've uh, commitment, committed myself to, like, a handful of projects uh, and the, the process is slow, so there's not a lot of people in the world that necessarily know that this is something that I'm moving forward with. Uh, Honestly, before before we set up this interview, I only knew you as an actor. There it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and I try not to live in the shame of that because I, it's a, like... Well, what's the shame? Well, you know, you... <laughs> my poor parents who <laughs> would never say anything about it, but you want to like have the win for them, you uh-huh. know? And the fact that I was like, you know, I'm going to move from this difficult acting career to something more lucrative. You know? <laughs> like, like theater writing. Right. <laughs> um, so there's a part of me that's like, oh, my God, I've been writing this musical for a really long time. I've written some plays a few years ago. That, like, I'm not sure how to get traction with that. Um, so you get stressed that, like, have I either done something wrong or have I chosen poorly or is there some way that I could be, like, making more of an impact? Mm. Um well, because so, what, what I've always noticed is, like, the way that I first meet someone is sort of, like, how I think of them. Absolutely. And, uh, do, like, have you had that experience where, like, you were, like, pushing for people to think of you as the other thing, but they met you in the other way? You know, there actually hasn't been as much crossover. Uh, and that's one of the blessings of BMI is, like, that group of people think of me as a writer. Yeah. Uh, as a writer who they ask to perform all their stuff in lab. <laughs> which is which is the best. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then my actor friends, I mean, have known me for a very long time, so like they're not going to shift course, really. Uh, although, as I bring them in occasionally to help me sing my material, like there's definitely that part of them that goes like, oh, of course, he's also doing this thing. Um, yeah. It's also funny because talking about you know personality types and acting I always thought like boy I can't wait to be famous so that when I'm in a bar people will come talk to me because I don't know how to go talk to them <laughs> wow <laughs> like that's the truth so uh that's something I'm still looking for on either one and I'm happy to have it with either one if it's like, oh, you're from The Thing, or like, oh, you wrote The Thing. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't really desire like fame as like a as a concept. I just desire like the perk of like getting to talk to people because I love doing it, but I'm also too shy a lot of the time. Gotcha. Did I answer the question? What was the initial question? Uh, I don't really remember, but I, I'm, I'm happy <laughs> to go on this journey with you. <laughs> 
question was about how much and if you do try to steer or control oh. Oh, what yeah. people right. see you as. My yeah. persona. Uh, and you just said, like, I would be happy to, like, have that as a writer or as an actor. But do you, in your, in, like, I guess in your ideal world, are you having that as both? Or, like, like how do you envision, like, your career moving forward, balancing those two things? Oh, yeah. Bad question. Or, like, what's hard. your ideal? The ideal, I mean, I think for me right now is, is definitely still both. Uh, yeah. You know, sometimes I think about, am I going to live in New York City forever? And that even that ties in because it's like, well, if I'm an actor, like, of course, I have to stay in the city. If I'm a writer, like, I could probably live a couple hours away and then come in when needed for uh-huh. X thing. Uh, it feels like I have more momentum, whether the world knows it or not yet, uh, more m- momentum as a writer. Uh, as an actor, it feels a little bit like there are these seeds that I may or may not know were planted mm-hmm. that could come to fruition at any given moment. Um, I'm realizing, though, that you don't combine them a lot. You don't perform in your own work that often. I don't really. And part of that is because, again, uh, the writing side of me, I haven't put it out into the world as much, so I haven't had the opportunity. Um, I definitely, I'm not even sure how to, if this is the time to segue into it, but I, I've definitely had some interesting thoughts now about how I used to try to write parts for myself. And then I started kind of thinking, well, that's not the point, but still writing parts that were sort of me. And then finally coming to grips with the idea that I was maybe missing some really cool ideas because I was still living in that place of like, well, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to write this thing, I might as well like leave the door open for both. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm working on another new musical, and the lead character is a, is a guy named Charlie. And it's supposed to be like a golden age throwbacky musical, and he falls in love with this, or he's in love with this girl who went away and is now back. Um, and I've always been talking to people about like I really am excited about this project, but I the thing I'm most excited about is like finding a way to like tap into the golden age idea, but like giving it something like a modern feel. And I kind of kept like looking at other characters, like well, you'd think that character would be a man, but maybe it should be a woman or whatever. And I kept doing it with all these characters, and about a week ago I was like, oh, of course, Dustin, of course Charlie is a woman. <laughs> Charlie's a woman. And it's not even because like that's gonna be the thing that gets people's attention, but because that's actually the story that I was trying to tell and I didn't know it. Huh. Um, so I'm trying to walk myself away from writing parts for myself and focus on like writing the play that I know I wanna write. That makes sense. Yeah, that's, they, they always tell actors like, um, create your own work. Like if if nothing's like happening, they always tell actors yep. like create your own work. But like, that's I mean I f- <laughs> I I've like been told that many many times in my <laughs> life. Um, but I always say like no because like I'm not going to create the kind of work that I want actually want to be a part of. Like like if you're telling an actor to create work because it's like a platform for them to like have something in the world, it's never going to be that kind of interesting writing. That's like because you want to tell this story. It's because because I want to be on a stage, you know. And it's I, very hard yeah. to rein that feeling in. Is I, it? I'm finding at least, <laughs> yeah. But you're but you're doing it. I think so. I mean, listen, would I like to be in Dust and Shadow the musical? Uh, yes, I would. Which character <laughs> would you play? <laughs> <laughs> well. Sneaky, sneaky John writes very high, so a lot of the parts are out of the realm of possibility for me. Uh, 
But even if it was like, I'll be in the ensemble, that'd be great. But like, let's face realities, unless I'm doing a random production in a random town, they're going to want me to focus on the writing part. They're <laughs> going to want me to like do the job that I was there to initially do. Uh, so that is a dream deferred for now. I always have the reverse of like the writers who can perform. I'm so jealous of because I love the idea. Like, I actually like I'm a closeted person who loves performing. And like when I was little, little, I like wanted to be an actress. But I realized by like high school that that wasn't going to be an easy. You gave a sterling performance in Linzer Newt and his real boy suit. Thank you, as Sally Nader. What is this? (laughs) This was so Justin and I both grew up in Ithaca. Uh huh. And the Hangar Theater did kid stuff musicals so but they're on like the main stage of the theater but there are four children and if you're doing like theater camp there you yourself can perform in the final kid stuff musical (laughs) oh my god wait and what was this one called linzer newt and his real boy suit i don't remember much about it honestly except for that it's literally a a newt who dresses up (laughs) like a a human human. (laughs) to save his swamp from construction oh my god yes this is i want to see this it was being pretty enjoyable. It was a good time. You yeah. were a reporter, right? No, I was I was a salamander. I was a salamander in the swamp. Oh my god. And I believe my line, I had a line, was all humans strike out of fear and dread, stuck pins in Aunt Esther, pins in her head. <laughs> aunt Esther? I know she was a frog. <laughs> Wait, your your was, aunt? The aunt of a salamander was a frog. Yes, that makes sense. Yeah, I don't. Maybe it was like a like a royal aunt. Maybe she was like uh-huh. the swamp aunt. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, wow. no, I love it. And now you know it's not a part of what I do at all. But I have a fantasy of like the closest I come is like if I try to. I haven't done this in like four years, but like doing a show at Rockford or something where I'll try to sit at the piano and play. Mm-hmm. But oh god, I wish I could like play and sing a song <laughs> I wrote. That sounds so cool. Oh yeah, I've had people. In BMI, say, like, oh, isn't it so much better? I think Craig Cornelia said this to me at one point, too. He was like, isn't it so much like easier to like perform your own stuff? And I was like, what are you talking <laughs> about? No, it is infinitely scarier. And yeah. I am a nervous enough person as it is. Um, oh, he means, like, is it easier for you to perform your own stuff than for you to perform someone else's yeah. stuff? Yeah, I don't know if oh. he just meant, like, because you can tap into it easier. Yeah. Or, yeah. But I, yeah, I... Should we spend 20 minutes talking about the joys of beta blockers at some point? Uh, yes. Sure. Uh, <laughs> but I'm fascinated by beta blockers. Oh, it is a new magic in my life. Uh-huh. Uh, but before the advent of that, uh, I definitely found that like going to auditions, I get very nervous. My heart races. Uh, I All the high notes disappear because my throat constricts very, very mm-hmm. intensely. Uh and I felt like that was times two or three when I'm doing my own wow. material. Huh. Uh, it didn't help that I was in BMI, so I was like singing it for people who I knew were about to judge it very openly. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, what a. I'm I'm in awe of people who can take their own work and like just put it out there, whether that's musicals or just straight up rock pop music or what have you. It it takes the courage. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you were saying that though, my what I thought, what I thought, Craig Carnelia meant when he was saying that to you was like, isn't it so much better for you to perform your own stuff than for someone else to perform your stuff? Oh, interesting. If he meant that, it totally passed me by. Because I've definitely witnessed writers perform their own stuff and just like they know exactly what the roadmap is, so they're hitting all of the right 
beats, you know, as opposed to giving it to someone else who doesn't know where it all came from. Yeah. And so may be missing some of the elements. I guess, I guess I'm inclined to say that I've been blessed with the performers I've worked with so far that I've not felt that as much. Yeah. The people who have been taking part in Dust and Shadow, they know what they're doing <laughs> and I have not judged them. Uh, they take the, the lyrics that they're handed and do phenomenal work with it. So I definitely, I see that and I, def- I think I've seen that with other people that their material is handed off and going like, oh, I wish they could just get in there and yeah. mm-hmm. tweak. I feel like that's something I enjoy about working with the same people over and over and over, which I love to do because I feel like there is people sort of after a couple go arounds get like They acclimate my to deal. your sense. Yeah. That feels right. Yeah. Yeah. And and sort of vice versa, right? It sort of feels like yeah. your music has been influenced by the performers that work with you. That yeah, you give no, you, them things that slot into their personality type and their range. And I hope so. Yeah. I definitely like when I'm starting to write something, thinking about if I know who's going to sing it, that person, or at least thinking about like, oh, this would be some. Mm-hmm. This is like you know an Amy type role. It does like help you make decisions. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you do you often think about performers when you're writing a song? Uh, I mean, again, so much so much of my time has gone into this one show. I have things that are like finally starting to sprout elsewhere, but uh, that I would say mostly no. Some new material in in this latter portion, I guess, has been inspired a little bit by the performers. Um, yeah, that's a good question. It feels like. That might be a beat that I'm missing. I go into kind of my own little bubble of thinking when I start writing a song, mm-hmm. so it it kind of feels separate from that. Um, but it definitely doesn't hurt to know, like, oh, well, if I write it like this, they'll be able to handle it. I feel yeah. like that's maybe more a composer thing, actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like when I think lyrics, the biggest thing I think is, like, humor. Like, oh, so-and-so is going to kill this joke. That, yeah, that feels exactly right. But, but the, like, oh, will this fit in their range will this person like give it life with this tempo that feels necessary to maybe take into consideration earlier but i'm allowed to just kind of go words (laughs) Uh, (laughs) yeah sure and do you guys do mainly words first uh almost entirely for the show we i think there's there's one definite song in there for now (laughs) we keep talking about like is it definitely doing what we wanted to do uh that he wrote music first and then i did my own thing after um but yeah, pretty much I hand him a thing, he goes to town, and we've definitely had a long process of like learning how to try to communicate better with each other, because sometimes I hand him a lyric and I don't say anything, I'm just like, here you go, and then he mm-hmm. comes back and I'm like, that sounds so cool and super not what I was <laughs> aiming for. And then sometimes it turns out like, well, who boo on me, because like he nailed it, or oh, I guess I should have communicated this, because I think maybe if we had shifted it this way. Um, yeah, that's a weird gray area of sort of like decision making of, you know, if you end up being like one person's like, I really think it sounds like this. And the other person's like, I really envisioned it this totally different thing. Yeah, it can How get... you <laughs> agree on that. Well, we've definitely I think our main the main thing we've bumped up against uh, over the years now working on this one piece is uh, John. I find this fascinating. He has written so much of everything he hears of what eventually should happen into the piano. Uh, So there'll be times where he shares uh, a song with me and I go like, that feels so 
beautiful, but also so thick. Like, and our poor pianists, we've had like a dozen people working on the show over the years and like all of them both love it and like are furious with us because <laughs> it's impossibly hard. Uh-huh. Some songs in particular. Uh, and he would always say like, no, 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 like just wait till like we flesh it out, we flesh it out. And like once this will be like part of this instrument and that'll go over there. And like, I was like, okay, like I trust you because I don't know anything about it. So here's hoping. And we, you know, we finally had our first concert where we did give it to like a, a five person uh, band and it just made all the difference in the world. It was so true. Like the piano got lightened up, everything went to these other instruments and it was like, wow, this sounds awesome. Like, I can't believe you had this in your head the whole time and I wow. wish I could have joined you on that journey and not been as stressed about it. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of two things. One, just that difficulty is something I think a lot about because I feel like a lot of things that are difficult to do whether it's a crazy piano part or something really rangy like it gives like the difficult thing is so exciting and like (laughs) I really like having those really exciting moments but knowing that you're consigning yourself to like either the number of people who can do this will be very small or this will be done poorly and wrong over and over and over for most of its life and, and, then, like, and that's for both music and for the singers. Yeah, it's it's yeah. like both. Yeah, you say like, well, do I want something that just soars in a way that people can't even comprehend? Or do I want something that like can go to a high school and still sound pretty badass? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, that's it's, interesting, though, because I feel like over the years, those kinds of um, like I'm just th- the thing that I my mind went to is like belting high for ladies. Yeah. And like I feel like oh. over the years, like more and more writers have like added more and more higher notes into their scores and over the years more and more ladies have like been able to rise to that occasion and and I get frustrated by that I mean it's easier for me to get frustrated by the men's side of it and uh it feels like where once an F would have gotten us golden parts all mm-hmm. across the board now it's like who cares about that yeah give me another third please mm-hmm. um but uh oh wait it disappeared for a sec Singing high notes. Oh, uh, but it's it's sort of like the Olympics or like watching an Olympic sport like figure skating. It's like, okay, so once upon a time, people were super psyched to watch these people like literally make figures. Like <laughs> they drew like a nice eight and you're like, oh, you are so good at what you do. <laughs> and then somebody's like, what if I added a jump? And right. Like, oh, okay, I guess. And we're probably sort of initially pissed. Like, this is about figures. What are you doing? Uh, <laughs> And then it just keeps upping the game. The fact that you can see what somebody else has done really does provide this incredible springboard for what can maybe go on top of it. Yeah. Um, I sometimes like I'm fascinated by the idea of like what would happen if a figure skater from the Olympics today like went back to the 50s and was like, let me show you a couple of things. Huh. Would they be like, are you a wizard? Like, <laughs> do we have to kill you? <laughs> uh, and it feels the same way for music. I get frustrated, I, especially professionally as an actor, that there are things that are happening that like I can't keep up with. Uh, but at the same time, like there are a growing number of people who have these capacities far beyond what used to exist. And it seems silly to not make use of them once they've yeah. been uncovered. Right. And if you have, like, if you're if you're creating something that's maybe difficult, and if you have a person at hand who can do it. Is it doing a disservice to like the world to say, well, this person can do it, but like I don't know if anyone else can do it, so why don't I leave it out of my show? You know what I mean? Like, mm. if if someone can do it, why not do it? You know? I tend to agree. Because yeah. okay. <laughs> I like doing that, kind of stuff. <laughs> but I recognize that. I mean, you're consigning yourself to certain. Yeah. 
I mean, so yeah, days. so hopefully there's a caveat, right, that like that's great and like ever forward, but also like if somebody else is great, you should be able to option down. You should be able to like yeah. figure yeah, something sure. out. If you find something that fits in ways that feel right and excite the rest of the team around you, then like compromises can be reached. It shouldn't feel yeah. like, God, he's so good or she's so good. If only they could do that one thing that we know is really hard to do. It's yeah. Like, well, is that going to ruin the show? If Wicked didn't have the, ah, at the end, <laughs> if there was some other way to like finish the song that yeah. was cool, like, would it still be Wicked? Feels like probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. <laughs> That's something I heard. I don't think about much. Like I think I've written one option down ever. But you're right. There's actually no reason not to make more of those. I mean, have you available. encountered that as an issue though? Have you had performers that you're like, oh, I wish I could give it to this person, except for like, I don't think they can do this thing. I feel like I haven't really. I feel like That's everyone's awesome. always just sort of risen to it. Well, but you're also really good about like working with the performer to make sure that it's like, like we've done. Like <laughs> yeah. Julia's given me songs, and I've said like. I love this song. If it were a whole step down, it would just be in the perfect spot in my voice. <laughs> oh, when you can fix it by transposing, I feel like that's the yeah. easiest. But yeah. that's not even work. Yeah, but that's a thing. Like that's a thing that um, when a show does move on to sort of regional life, where the um, mm -hmm. writers aren't involved anymore, like there is a whole lot of stigma about changing the keys that are yeah. already set. Maybe mm -hmm. it's because it's just more work, or maybe it's because it's like, oh, well, this is what it's supposed to be, so this is what it has to be. But like, if they knew that the writers would rather have it in the key that's appropriate to the singer than the key that's in the licensed materials, then maybe that stigma would be very different. Yeah, I think I don't think that should be stigmatized. Yeah. Is, it, is it purely stigmatized, or is there something actually, like, written in about it? I honestly don't know. I don't know. I, I just remember that, like, when I was doing shows in high school, like, just high school theater, it would be like, oh, like, so-and-so can't sing it in the right key. You know what I mean? Like, the quote right key. <laughs> yeah, right. But, like... It's only the right key because that's the key that we've been given the sheet music in. Yeah. I was just looking at someone's, a composer's website, actually, and because sometimes I look at how much other people are selling their sheet music for <laughs> to see if my prices are appropriate. Mm -hmm. And the way that the this person's sheet music like website worked was, send me the name of the song you want and the key you want it in, and I'll send you sheet music. Yeah. That's that great. Neat. Yeah. Yeah, and when you go to like music notes, you, it just, there's just an option of all the different keys to buy it in. Yeah. Oh, neat. Which is nice. Yeah. It's but then sometimes you like you hear about people like bringing songs in for auditions, and like the the music director, if the music director's there, being like, I don't think that's in the original key, and like <sighs> being like kind of snobby about it. <laughs> you know. What a pain in the neck. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, it shouldn't come down to like, oh, I'm trying to trick you. Like, I'm singing what I'm singing. Do you like what I'm singing? Yeah. yeah. It, it's hard because you like you can't be precious about it. Of course, there needs to be a, like a respect for the material as written, but compromises should be reached. And I wonder, I do. I wonder what should be in writing about that. Yeah. Because certainly, like we've seen the stories about productions being shut down because they like change dialogue or cut out things altogether mm -hmm. or like make it about something it's super not supposed to be about but if, if you're not changing the lyric I wonder what John would say if he was right here it would he be like well some uh, like keys in, are in my, yeah in my experience some composers are are really married to the key that they have it set in yeah. and some yeah. are more like whatever works best for you let's do that like I can see yeah if you put like a lot of thought into key relationships between different songs mm -hmm. and like you've got this crazy thing like that weaves through the show and adds up to something bigger. 
I mean, absolutely. Some things definitely like soar in one key and kind of sit there in another. Like that, mm-hmm. and that doesn't matter who's singing it. So, yeah, sometimes it screws up your orchestrations. Yeah. It starts sounding like muddy. Oh, yeah. So I guess, did we solve it? <laughs> is, is it just that like people just have to be aware and? <laughs> Because, yeah, you, everyone needs to be comfortable, but, like, don't cu- cut something out just because, like, you think that's the way it has to be. Yeah. It just gets harder and harder when, like, the writers are no longer in the room. Yeah. Because even literally, like, file formats, it's, like, if you had to actually, like, if you just received these PDFs and you were, like, painstakingly transcribing well, yeah. everything, yeah. that would be terrible. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not a very good copy. You're copyist. <laughs> So I wanted to go back to something you touched on for a second. I want to talk again about Heathers. Uh, okay. In part because something that warms. So A, I really love that show and it made me happy watching <laughs> it. But another thing that made me happy is I remember you talking about like the fan community around that show. Yeah. I want to hear about that. I mean, listen, I get kind of the lowest part of the brunt of that because I'm both ensemble, a guy, and somebody who isn't very vocal on social media. Uh, but it has been wild to see the sustaining power of it, partially, you know, brought on by the fact that it's being performed a lot. I mean, it feels like regional productions are happening everywhere. The high school version is now, like, available and starting to be done, uh, which I saw, like, while they were shaping it, and they made some, like, really smart adjustments. At first, I was like, you guys cannot turn this into a high school show. Like, people will, <laughs> will be very unhappy with you. Yeah, how much did they change? You know, honestly, not a ton. There's still stuff that happens. It's like, well, that's boundary pushing. Uh, I don't remember exactly like words or phrases. I mean, nobody's getting anything with a chainsaw, <laughs> for starters. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, they they made some really smart compromises that didn't seem to affect the integrity of the show. Awesome. Uh, so it's being done everywhere. Uh, so the awareness is still is still really there. And I also think that there's sort of a cool thing happening where a lot of the people who loved it in high school are now, like, just post-college. Mm-hmm. And so, like, there's still, like, a youthful energy to it. And a lot of those people, if they're actors, like, you know, they're now getting to sing the songs in New York. And um, it it was such a good show of the time and such a – the music was so ripe for these kids to, to hop onto. And, and I also think, overall, it was, like, a really – fun group of people like they the social media presence of of the people involved like was positive and fun and uh and and goodwill feels so important in theater like as actors we can't be counted on to like have personal one-on-one relationships with every single person that like sends a tweet to you or an instagram direct message or whatever but like an awareness that those people care an awareness of how we would have desperately wanted interaction if we had access to Instagram when we were that age, which thank God we did not. <laughs> I, Rachel and I talk about that too. It's like, well, if we could have written the everyone in rent, it, mm-hmm. like if we could have had a way to directly reach them, like how dangerous would we have been yeah. as human beings? Do yeah. you think you would have done it? I don't think I would have done it because I would have been too afraid of saying the wrong thing. It's po- I would have either gone fully that way or just like, uh, here's everything because I'm so excited to visit it. Um, <laughs> So, so I, fact, I think the fact that they could reach out and have us be like, yeah, like Heather's, like we're all like part of the team, and and with every production, like we try, have, we've tried to like continue reaching out and say like, congrats on this. And the person in charge of the Heather so- social media is like 
killing it years later and still keeping it alive. Um, and I think it's sort of uh, part of the joy of it is sadly what also brought it to an, its end, which is that like it came on too late. It was a cult classic in the same way that the movie was a cult classic. Mm -hmm. We got our closing notice about a month before. Almost immediately after that, it was like packed audiences every night. And that's a big theater. Also, the timing was just so unfortunate because the album came out like right after we announced closing. Uh -huh. So like everything kind of came to a head at the exact wrong time. And they were like, oh, shoot. And they brought us back in and said, listen, like, we've been talking. We'd love to maybe get give this a little bit of an extension. But by then, because you're dealing with phenomenally talented actors, half of them, myself not included, but half <laughs> of them were like, I've already got another amazing gig lined up. Mm. So they had to let it let it go. Um, so it ended on this incredible high note. I, I've never experienced anything like it. The last few performances were just full-on rock concerts. Wow. Um, people were losing it. Um, <laughs> And it's been so fun to see the people who, the actors involved have like gone on to do such awesome things. There are so many Broadway names right now. And uh, so I think all of that kind of lended itself to this show really sticking around and and the fact that people still want to write to us and communicate with us and make references to, I mean, everyone when they turn 17, it feels like said a tweet about like, I can finally sing this song. Uh, like, oh, you guys are the best. Like. Uh, that song, I hardly ever sit in on auditions, but I did just get to last fall at NYU because we did the Reb Vodka and we worked up there. And someone sang 17 for their callback, and it made me uh, so happy. I mean, listen, Larry Keefe uh, wrote phenomenal music. It's really catchy. It's really fun. It's really accessible. It doesn't really seem to go into the stratosphere a lot of the time. There's, there's some stuff. Veronica has to sing pretty intensely, but... <laughs> Uh, and the lyrics are are really something else. I don't know if we've talked about that at any point, but I don't know if we have. Uh, from from the beautiful sim simple thoughts of seventeen to still actually beautifully simple, but um, the lyric of kindergarten boyfriend mm. doesn't have a rhyme. Uh -huh. There's no rhyme. It's just like a girl singing about like what if this thing could happen? Like why, it's just right there. Like why can't this? And it's so heartbreaking. And it's it feels rare that you can think of a lyric that's like non that no rhymes that keeps your interest and doesn't yeah, bring attention that. to the fact that it doesn't have it. Uh, it's just so clever through and through. And the one song that they think is not standing the test of time, they've rewritten for the high school production and are trying to sort of put it into the full production for huh. everybody. Which song? Uh, Blue. Uh huh. They, I think all oh, parties, um, all parties would now say like it's a song about balls and it doesn't go anywhere for three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and that was like true. Now there was always like a smidge of like a the song is fun. It feels like it's missing like a little something. Which if there's one song in a full musical that you could say that about, they're like you have done very well. Yeah. Uh, so they've written another song called "You're Welcome," which is still these two jocks like kind of cornering her in a field and they're saying like like you get to be with this now you're welcome uh -huh. and it's like equally smart a little more genuinely creepy mm -hmm. and like a, oh something bad because blue didn't feel threatening enough yeah mm -hmm. um but it's also still very funny um so i think they they crushed it on take two 
and <laughs> want to make use of it. But at this point, it's like Samuel French is already published. So they're like, right. don't make us. We just sent it out the door, guys. <laughs> well, so I'm curious about something you just said, which is that you're not you don't have a huge social media presence. Yeah. Is that do you think about that in terms of your career or like do you think about that intersection ever? Uh, oh, very much so. Uh, <laughs> uh, I feel like I'm bringing up Rachel a couple times, and I could bring her up a lot more. Rachel is my girlfriend, uh, and she's a phenomenally talented and phenomenally smart human being. Uh, and we've had some discussions about this because uh, as an introvert, I have found that I never really went full out on like Facebook or anything, but I used to post and like share things once in a while. Uh, Rachel is so good with all of that. I love Rachel's right. Facebook. I, I mean, it's it's impressive. Uh, she means to be. She manages to be very funny, very succinct, and occasionally like very damaging when something like needs to be like hit hard. And she's also very prolific. Like I feel like at least once a day. Yeah, yeah. She she's committed. She likes it. <laughs> it brings her joy, and it is effective. Um, I would I just say because I feel like the frequency with which I can think of something that's even one of those three adjectives is like maybe every couple of weeks. <laughs> yes, exactly the same, which is so it's half like I don't know if I can match that. So maybe no. And it's the other half like she's got it covered, <laughs> uh, which is not a good way to think of it, because like I need to forward and advance my own uh, interest sometimes. But even though she's occasionally doing it for me, uh, but on, left to my own devices, I would love to be better at it. It would involve being less of an introvert and less of a like a nervous person about just putting myself out in the world. Uh, and I do intend to work on that. But like, do you think? Do you want to work on it because you think it would be better for your career, or do you want to work on it because it's actually something you actually want to do? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I it's, think about that. It's more the former. Yeah, uh, I think it would be good for my career. I've definitely seen how it has uh, helped others. Um, I think it would be good. F it's the, like the thing I want to do in that totally separate from theater. There are social issues, certainly more now than ever before, f seemingly by like multitudes uh, that I know I have strong opinions about. Mm -hmm that I want to share, that I want to like express that like I'm here for these people, I feel this about this situation. Uh, but because I'm sort of locked in this rut of not communicating at all, it feels weird on any given topic now to be mm -hmm. like, I guess this is where I'm going to drop in, guys. <laughs> uh, it never That's feels like the right time. because I always, I always watch other people and feel like other people don't have that worry. But I also have that same worry where it's like, well, I've never talked about this kind of thing before, so is it weird if I just start talking about it now? Yeah. But, I, but it seems like other people just do not have that worry. They're just like, this is what I have to say, and I'm going to say it, and you're going to listen. And I, and by and large, I totally get behind that. Certainly, there are like singular things one anyone could look at and be like, that bugs me. <laughs> uh, whether because it, it, like the opinion itself bugs me, or it's like that feels like that's written because of an ulterior an ulterior mm. motive. Or, um, but I mean, Rachel really does. During the Me Too, which is still going, so I don't. Uh, during because of the Me Too movement, she wrote a post that went viral, and it was sort of the first time it ever happened to her. Like fifty thousand people liked it, twenty five thousand people shared it, and it was this thing where it's like, oh, like you are a person who is like ready to communicate with the masses, 
And I want to like give myself the room to acknowledge that I'm not ready to do that, both in terms of like the capacity and the repercussions. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would like to get there for for multiple reasons. Uh, it doesn't feel like a great time to be silent, even if you assume that people know which side you stand on for certain things. Mm, that's very interesting. Yeah. It's interesting, too, just with communicating to the masses, the question of audience, that when you write something and put it out, put it out there, you have to like be prepared for the possibility that it could be seen by everyone in the world, but also... like. The reality that it's probably seen by like three people, one of which is my mom. Which is equally important. Yeah. Bless the moms of the world and their their likes. <laughs> uh, but y- yeah, the the acknowledgement that like anything can have a bigger reach than you initially intend is a scary thought. Uh, because as much as you can build a career with this stuff, you can obviously also ruin it. Yeah. And it feels like you can sometimes ruin it for things that you're like, oh yeah, you deserve to get smacked around for that. And other times it's like, oh. Social media is hard, and like things don't necessarily go through the way you knew you intended it. So, like, I wish we could have a do-over sometimes. And it's uh, interesting though hearing you say that like you could ruin it because I'm scrolling through my head and like every time I decide not to post something, like what do I actually think the worst thing that could happen <laughs> is? Like the thing I worry more about is just this slow creep of like, oh, Julia is someone who says things that aren't that interesting or original, as opposed to like one ruinous statement. Mm. <laughs> you've clearly never read the book, so you've been publicly shamed. <gasps> is that Ro- jo- John Ronson? John Ronson. Yeah. It's f- fascinating. And what it's it's just like these people who like, it, 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 do you remember that woman who um, flew, yep, was she on a flight right to before. Africa, and she tweeted right before this really offensive thing, which in her head was just, just a, a joke. funny, yeah. Huh. Um, and while she was on the plane, you know, not checking the internet, um, this tweet went viral. She was fired from her job <gasps> because of it. Yeah. And she landed and found out that she was fired. And it was just this one weird tweet. Wow. It, it felt like the, it, it couldn't have been the first, but it felt like the first, like, like globally known story of like, oh, we can, we can really wreck somebody in an instant now. Yeah. Wow. And, and again, sometimes that can be good like the effect of the effectiveness of it is astonishing but when it kind of goes in all directions just because we're like oh i'm pissed at this thing today uh this isn't the best segue but it's definitely on my mind these freaking kids Mm -hmm. are just insane they're crushing it on all levels and it's blowing my mind that they're doing it coming out of such a horrible event and it's got to be psychologically so confusing and damaging to like try to be recovering from that i mean it just happened so recently and yet they are out there sending some of the funniest freaking tweets like just taking down people who have seemed just untouchable it gives me so much hope and also is so deeply feels so deeply shameful that it's like Mm. wow it's going to be kids who are going to do this Like, this is, like, a thing that we've all said, like, we need to, like, no, never again. Like, after everything, I was like, never again, no more. And then for the like, For the listeners, since, since we don't know when oh. we're actually going to air <laughs> yes. this episode, we're talking about the survivors of the recent school shooting in Florida. Um, we're, we're recording this in February. So that most recent school shooting, find hopefully it. still the most recent whenever you're hearing oh, this. Lord, and, please. And but find all those kids on Twitter and follow them. Cause but I think that's... Um, I think that speaks to part of it is like they've grown up 
with social media. Like, you know, you and I grew up in without social media. And so they're like fluent in, in how it works. Yeah. And I think that's why they're the ones doing it is because they're the ones who understand how this social media works the best. Huh. And, and obviously, like, my opinion is, is influenced by my opinion on all, all sorts of things for me to say that, like, definitively, I think what they're doing is great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> obviously, there are people who don't share that opinion. But the fact that they can they can hone in on a topic like this and just stay so on point and, like, very quick – the dismissals of the people who are coming in to attack them is just mm-hmm. endlessly impressive. So – Go get them, kids. And and there's that's that's something that uh, Rachel has reached out about. That I'm like, oh, like you're doing a wonderful thing, separate from yourself, because she's a tutor as well as a wonderful director actor. Uh, and she's tweeted a few times now saying like anybody who's who needs help if for the upcoming uh, March, uh, if you leave school and there's a punishment if they they try to damage your forward momentum towards college in any way. I will give free tutoring support. I will like look at your college essays. I will find other people who also do that to help with the, with the cause. Uh, so staying on point and like offering up what you can is something I learned a lot from her. That's she weird. yeah. Mm-hmm. You should talk to Rachel at some point. I feel like a lot of <laughs> the thoughts like in my brain are currently okay. yeah. <laughs> are things that like Rachel would say this better, but here we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting in the Trump era in general. I feel like. Gordon and I, when we were writing, you know, little like grant applications or things or whatever, we lately in the past, however long it's been, have the sentence, you know, like in this new political climate, like <laughs> you sort of have to reevaluate the stuff you're already writing and being like, okay, how is what we're saying different now that this is the world we live in? Yeah, which feels so important. And also, I'm like, I'm trying to make sure whenever I have thoughts about what I want to work on next, that I'm addressing the things that are happening without leaning on the things that are mm-hmm, happening. Mm-hmm. There's a, I'm forgetting the name of it. There's a website for uh, playwrights um, that I joined maybe a couple years ago and you can put on your plays and like say like my, like some keywords about each play and like how many actors. And uh, so uh, different organizations can kind of put in the words and say like, I'm looking for a show with this many people that deals with these issues. It's a really cool idea. Um, but I went on recently, and it sh- there was a thing that showed how many plays recently like have a keyword of this, mm. and like one of the biggest ones was Donald Trump. Yeah, I was like, well, okay, that makes sense because he's every waking thought that any of us can seem to have now. Uh, but is that bad that like every play is going to be about him now? Is it bad that like? people feel the need to put his name in as like a, my sh- show is about this rather than kind of being a show about something that obviously inherently addresses the issues that have come up because of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe that's sort of a, a non-starter. Maybe that's uh, not the issue that I think it is, but it feels relevant that sometimes people try to like jump on the train. Uh with Trump again, it feels like it's less of a train and more just like we can't help ourselves because it's all so we insane. We can put together Donald Trump <laughs> and a rock musical. We've got it. Oh my God, there it is. Uh, because yeah, you don't want to you don't want to avoid things. You, you don't want to come out with a show that's like, well, that was clearly written without any sense of the time. Yeah, yeah. But I don't want the name Donald Trump to appear in my show ever. Yeah. 
Man, but a show, I mean, I feel like I've seen a lot of shows lately that don't explicitly mention Donald Trump, but do have a whole lot to do with our current climate. And just know, like, knowing that I'm watching it now, it's going to influence how I watch a show. Absolutely. Um, and I've also seen shows that were written in previous eras and previous in administrations meant to comment on previous political climates that are really resonating now. So I do also think that a lot of shows written in response to the current um, climate are going to resonate in the future as well, well if, for different reasons. And, agreed. Yeah. I, f I feel like one of the things that has hit hardest this week has been the, uh, and it's been percolating, but the New York Times article about um, all the, the revivals that are about to happen this season uh, that really don't look good when viewed through the, through the prism of the Me Too movement. And, and uh, you've got your My Fair Lady and Carousel and Pretty Woman is like coming into Broadway. Right. And you're like, well, boy, those sure have great music in them, but like <laughs> are not espousing the values that we want to live by anymore. Uh, they're super problematic and they're all happening at once and they're all being helmed by men. Right. Uh, and it's been... Again, certainly at home with Rachel, like she's she's. It's impressed me how she's managed to put out in social media thoughts about it, even though they could potentially be damaging. Because we're talking about the names of people who are at that like the top of our industry, uh, but it's also like kind of the time to start calling it out. And it's been particularly interesting as somebody who is currently part of an all-white an all-male creative team, excepting the author of the novel who has been very helpful in assisting us, Lindsay Fay. Um, it was something we didn't give consideration to at the time because we joined up and it was like, well, John asked me and John knows Casey and Casey started working on it and here we are. <laughs> uh, but the word optics feels like it's really at the forefront more than it ever has been. Mm -hmm. And I l love that even as it, can be profoundly aggravating at times because you think like, wow, God, I'm doing what I can. Why do I still feel like I'm being like smacked around a little bit? And then usually pushing through and going like, oh no, I still deserve to be smacked around a little bit. Like, mm -hmm. let's keep adjusting. And like adding uh, different viewpoints to projects. And like, we're trying to expand on that. We're trying to like add diversity to, as we build out the, from the creative to, you know, director and to, producers like we're and it's been not only beneficial to the project itself because it's it's great to do things optically because you know that it's going to advance the show but it also has like been good for the integrity of what we're trying to say mm -hmm. um I'm, i feel like i'm veering off but i'm going to just keep going for a minute because <laughs> this musical that we're writing is about sherlock holmes tracking down jack the ripper who's murdering prostitutes our lead female is a prostitute who helps Sherlock Holmes and Watson f solve this crime. Uh, and that's an interesting story that deserves to be told. But when it's only being told by men, it misses facets of what the woman's experience should be and, and risks kind of boxing in that, that character. Uh, and... I don't think we were even aware of that as a problem until recently. The progress we've made in fleshing it out as much as it should be and giving more life and, and purpose to both this character and the women who, who are the victims 
uh, it has been such a blessing to like see the growth in that. Uh, but it it has also been tough to like acknowledge that even as we think we are fair-minded as we write to see the things that we missed, the potholes along the way. Yeah, Gordon and I have been thinking about that too lately. We're just at the beginning of starting a brand new show and we're sort of figuring out which which elements from history are going to be part of it and mm-hmm. just the question of like whose story do we have the right to tell and like how do you go about evaluating that? Yeah, we're at a time where that's that's the question and 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 there's no like no consensus on what the answer is yet yeah yeah because it is easy to be like you know like i'm honoring your story like i want to shed an empathetic light on your thing right but but there's like a a, you know a lot of people would say there's a fine line between honoring someone's story and appropriating it right right it's so hard yeah (laughs) and and so it feels like the best we can do is just try to like self analyze and self check in as much as possible and say like am i being honest with myself that i'm i'm really pursuing this with integrity and a hope to like expand out to include as many people as possible and and also just to have conversations with as many people as yes. possible from as many different backgrounds as possible and to really listen and and hear what they have to say about it all yeah you guys, we solved another one. <laughs> we oh, are. my God. We're on fire. Crushing it. 